So this morning we're talking about the fourth fruit of the spirit, uh, which depending on the translation that you have could be uh, translated as patience, forbearance, or long suffering. How many of you like any of those words? Uh, I'm assuming all of us have heard the patience is a virtue uh, phrase. How many of you have that virtue? I'm not raising my hand because I don't. <laughs> I, for me, patience is one of those things that can be really tricky. Um, because so many times, right, we get impatient because we want things to happen in the way that we want them to happen. We want things to happen in our timeline. And sometimes we try and make that happen through force or um, manipulation. And manipulation doesn't have to be, you know, with ill intent. It's just a matter of we want things to happen. So we try and orchestrate these things to happen. And yet, oftentimes, um, I think our will is not necessarily in alignment with God's will. Because often God will ask us to wait, to learn, and to listen in the midst of God doing whatever it is that God is doing in order to make something happen. Um, and that, in a lot of ways, is what this word uh, from Greek, which is makroth unia, we will not say that probably again. <laughs> which means, because I'm sure I just massacred it, um, but it means with long enduring temper, forbearance, long suffering, or patience. It's a word that really, I don't think we see in our culture uh, exampled uh, or being given to us as an example. And I want to clarify a couple of, of, of the definitions for these, um, because when I think a lot of times when we think of long suffering, we think of scripture passage uh, where Jesus says, take up your cross and follow me. And that, depending on who we are and how that gets interpreted, can, can swing from, you know, enduring suffering with the grace of God to enduring suffering with a chip on our shoulder and pride takes over. Um, playing the victim does not equal long suffering right? um, because having a victim mentality or martyr syndrome is prideful. It's like, oh, look at how much I'm suffering. Have you ever heard anyone say that? Like, <laughs> who celebrates their suffering? <laughs> I don't, anyway. Um, but it's, you know, oh, look at me, look at me. And so when it goes from, I am enduring this thing, just, you know, very straightforwardly, because this is what God has given me to, oh, look at how this person has wronged me, or look at how terribly I've been treated throughout my life. Those are two different things. And we need to be really careful about where we are kind of on that spectrum. Because pride, I think we can all agree, uh, in, in Christian speak is a sin. And so we don't want to be there, but we do want to in some way long suffer, um, whatever that means. And so my 
the book that I have been reading, along with other commentaries, um, is The Cultivating the Fruit of the Spirit by Christopher J. Wright. It's where the poem that we've been saying comes from. And so I want to read the two definitions that he gives for this word of forbearance, patience, long-suffering. And it's from page 71, if any of you would like to go and buy the book. Um, the ability to endure for a long time, whatever opposition and suffering may come our way, and to show perseverance without wanting retaliation or revenge. The second part of the definition is the ability to put up with the weaknesses and foibles of others, parentheses, including other believers, to show forbearance towards them without getting quickly irritated or angry enough to want to fight back. I read that and I was like, Ooh. one of my first reactions is generally to fight back. Um, it's how my personality is wired. And then as I was thinking about the second part of the definition, I was like, I don't actually know what forbearance means. So then I went and looked it up in the dictionary. It is a refraining from the enforcement of something, whether it's a debt, a right, or an obligation that is due. So it's basically like, when you get forbearance of a mortgage or your rent, like what happened with, with COVID, right? Like there was fun, there was money um, so that if you, for some reason, couldn't pay your, your rent or your mortgage, then you could get that from the government or the government was told the mortgage companies, you know, don't evict anyone. Um, that's, that's the forbearance that I've heard of, but this is in terms of more relational forbearance. Um, and so those are, those are some definitions that I'd like us to keep in mind as we go forward in this. Um, shorthand, in case you can't remember anything that I've just said, which is fine. Two words, patient endurance. Pretty much sums up those much wordier definitions. So let's see how this plays out in Matthew chapter 26, right? So when Jesus is arrested, he's just been in the garden of Gethsemane. He's just been praying. Three of the disciples have fallen asleep, not once, not twice, but three times. Um, and he's with them. And earlier in the evening was the last supper. And then after this is when he goes and is put on trial and ends up being crucified. And so let's look at how Jesus reacted to this. So when Judas shows up, what does he say? Do what you've come to do. It's, it's like there's no surprise from Jesus. Nor did he retaliate. I love it. In, every once in a while when Jesus gives a little swagger, um, I think it's fantastic. And Jesus, when, you know, when he's like, why did you come with swords and clubs? and you know, what are you doing? Uh, he then says, don't you think that I can call on father and have 12 legions of angels show up at my disposal? But he didn't. He knew he had the power to do that, but he didn't. There wasn't any retaliation. And one of the commentary that I was reading on Matthew said that 12 legions of angels would be 72,000 angels. That's a lot. Um, for those of you who are numbers people, I was like, Ooh. 
that's an interesting tidbit. And then what else did Jesus do in this passage? Jesus didn't try to stop or change the outcome because he had already discerned that this was what was supposed to happen. That was part of his praying in, in the garden earlier um, where he was saying, you know, thy will, not my will. He was aligning himself with the father. And so these are things that he didn't do, but what did he do? He did, he acknowledged his power, right? So he acknowledged that he could call on 72,000 angels and they would be there in a heartbeat. But he chose not to do that. And he also questioned their choices. He looked at them and said, I've been preaching and teaching in the temple. Why didn't you come and arrest me then? You know, why are you coming with swords and clubs? When in any other situation, I've never put up a fight. What, what's the deal? And they obviously don't answer him, um, but at least not in what we have recorded. But I think he's questioning them because there's these misunderstandings of God's purposes. Um, a couple weeks ago, I talked about the misunderstanding of who the Messiah was supposed to be, right? So the Jews thought that Jesus was going to be the messianic deliverer who would break Rome's oppression, like break the bonds of essentially slavery that they were under from uh, excessive taxation and, you know, military rule and all that kind of stuff. And, and Jesus came to show another way. That was not his role. That was not his purpose. And, and the people, all of the people, I think, regardless of, you know, apart from Jesus, they misunderstood uh, this, this role, I guess, of the Messiah. And, and what we see, because people misunderstood the role of Messiah, we see the high priests or the chief priests coming with, with people with swords and clubs. Now, another fun tidbit, these swords weren't like the long swashbuckling swords that we see. They were about 18 inches long and were, um, were double-sided in terms of their blades. So it was more of a close hand-to-hand -hand combat kind of sword. Uh, the same kind of sword that's talked about in Ephesians 6, if you like to cross-reference things. Um, and it's the same sword that, that Peter used to lop off the ear. And so like, we see these people coming with clubs and swords because they think that Jesus is somehow all of a sudden going to retaliate against them because of their misunderstanding of who he is. And we also see Peter retaliate because he's thinking about Jesus as this Messiah. Like throughout the gospels, Peter is one of those people who, uh, who likes to defend Jesus. Like he sticks up for him. He you know, goes in front of him or fights for him. And in some ways it shows love and in other ways it shows a misunderstanding of who Jesus is again. Um, and in a lot of ways, you know, we, we can vilify Judas 
because um, he sold Jesus, you know, basically for a, a really small amount of money, you know, 30 pieces of silver. Uh, but in some ways, he might have been trying to force Jesus' hand, trying to make Jesus into this messianic deliverer who was going to throw off the oppression of Rome. And Jesus wasn't having any of it. And so we have a lot at play in this really uh, pretty short scripture passage that all goes into what it means for us as Christians to be patient or to offer forbearance or to be long-suffering. And so the question that came to my mind was, how do we live these principles? Well, when we suffer or encounter difficulty, whatever it is, we shouldn't be surprised. Like Jesus wasn't surprised because we've been told repeatedly in scripture that our lives are not going to be easy. Jesus says it, Paul says it in several of his letters. Peter says it. Um, it's, it's throughout the New Testament, especially in encouraging believers of the early church that persecution and suffering should not be a surprise. Second, we shouldn't retaliate. Um, there's no retaliation because Jesus didn't retaliate. Um, there's no you know, desire for vindication or retribution, um, no acting out on that desire. And then the third, like we get from Jesus, is that there's no quitting. A lot of times when we face uh, difficulty or trouble, we can quit or be like, oh, then this must not be where God has, what God has for us. But sometimes it is. And so if we've discerned where God is leading us, then we shouldn't. And in, in the Wesleyan tradition um, that we are a part of as United Methodists, we have what's called three simple rules. Do no harm, do all the good you can, and stay in love with God. And so those are the ways that we don't quit. We continue trying to do all of the good that we can. We try and do no harm. And we stay in love with God, whether it's through worship or prayer or reading scripture or taking a walk in the woods and soaking up you know, the sunshine. We stay in love with God. And so we live these principles by, in many ways, being patient with those around us, um, not getting upset when something doesn't work. And a lot of this, especially in terms of the fruit of the spirit, how God is transforming us, is that we continue to discern. We continue to evaluate and pray about whether what I'm trying to accomplish is my will or it's God's will. Like, you know, I've talked about ego a couple of times. Is my ego getting in the way of me hearing what God has for me? Also, we discern when to speak and when to stay silent. Because as James tells us, the tongue gets us in trouble. And sometimes staying silent is what God is inviting us to do. And that's a momentary or in the moment discernment that we need to do. And then also we continue to discern 
how we're being invited to lean into God through whatever suffering or difficulty or trouble we are given. Because throughout all things, God is working for the good of his people, regardless of what he is. That's what scripture tells us. And the beautiful thing to me about this, um, kind of about all of this really, is that as we ask God to transform us, as we ask God to, to ripen the fruit of the spirit in our lives, we are, we are in receipt of God's own character. Um, the, the book has this sen two sentences that I really like. God's own character is bearing fruit in our character. The life of God is at work in our life. And as we pray for the fruit of the spirit to ripen, as we pray for our eyes to be opened and discernment to be more clear, um, for wisdom to overflow in us, however it is that we are praying for the characteristics of God to be part of who we are, the more that we then demonstrate God to the world. Um, it's this circular thing. Um, where when we pray and we spend time with God and we learn and we do good and we don't, you know, we try and do as minimal amount of harm as we can, the spirit is transforming us as we do that. And in a lot of ways, I think that's where the surprise comes in, where we, we don't react maybe the same way that we did a year ago or two years ago or 10 years ago. We are continuing to bear fruit in love, joy, peace, and patience uh, as we move about our lives and, and allow God to work within us as we discern what God wants for us every day. So to end, let's pray uh, the prayer on the back of your bulletin from John Stott. Heavenly Father, I pray that this day I may live in your presence and please you more and more. Lord Jesus, I pray that this day I may take up my cross and follow you. Holy Spirit, I pray that this day you will fill me with yourself and cause your fruit to ripen in my life. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Amen.